0: You're a regular attender here at Calvary Chapel. Surprise, you know, we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. A few weeks ago, we finished our study through the book of Acts. And week after next, Lord willing, and should he tarry, we will begin our study through the book of Romans. I'm really excited uh, to begin that with you. Um, this week and next week, we are going to look at what is commonly referred to as, as Passion Week, as the Holy Week we're going to look at again Jesus suffering and death on our behalf as well as his glorious resurrection as we celebrate that next Sunday together. Today we're going to be looking at what is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday and as as it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 28. It says, after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near what is the mount that is called Olivet. Now, just to kind of set the stage for you and kind of get a picture of what is happening here. If you were, if you were here last week, remember, we looked at the story of Zacchaeus. We, t- we touched on that. That is at the beginning of chapter 19. Jesus on his way, as we mentioned, to Jerusalem, a large gathering of people on their way, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. And we we talked of that fact. That's at the beginning of chapter 19. Jesus, all the way through this, is on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And so we see then, and we read through 19, then after that encounter with Zacchaeus, he, he, he tells a parable to the people and then that's where we find ourselves now at the end of 19 it says after this they then take a 17-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem they climb in elevation about 3,500 feet now that's a that's a pretty good day's walk <laughs> that's a that's a in, in those days though remember they didn't have cars they didn't have buses they, they walked everywhere pretty much so that wasn't that wasn't an exorbitant amount of travel for a day but it was a it was a pretty full day And as we are going to look through this week and study this together, I do want to take a moment and and talk talk to you about something. And before anybody says, oh, that's heresy and, and walks out, bear with me and just hear this right up front. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that Jesus was crucified on Friday, okay? So I just want, to, just, want to, just want to say right away that I'm not going against anything that is said biblically, but I want, to, I want to start by something as we are going to look at this week together, starting today. Because one of the things growing up and I had questions about that always seemed to be answered in a way that, that appeased me, but as I continue to study through that, I still question that. It says that Jesus on the third day rose again, right? And so most would say, okay, well, it's Friday. That's day one. Saturday, day two. On the third day, Sunday, he rose again. But what do we do with the verse that says Jesus having a discussion in this, and the Pharisees and Sadducees challenged him said, give us a sign. And Jesus said, this wicked and adulterous generation, I will give no sign except the sign of Jonah. Whereas Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I don't care how you slice it and try to explain it to me. If Jesus rose on Sunday morning, which we know he did, because it tells us in the first day of the week, you can't get three nights anywhere. So if we start with that point on Sunday morning and we count three nights back, we got Saturday night, Friday night, and Thursday night. Okay, so I just want to put that out there that Jesus, is it possible that Jesus was crucified on Thursday instead of Friday? It would seem to be that way. Now, just as another thing to look at, it tells us in John chapter 12, verse 1, referring to this moment that we're talking about right now in the verses that we just looked at, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, where Jesus had raised him from the dead. So six days before Passover. Okay, so knowing Jesus died on Passover, we we know that, six days prior to that, if it was Friday, where would six days before be? Saturday. Could this have happened on Saturday? What we're talking about right now? Bible students? No, why? The Sabbath is Saturday. Saturday. And I just told you it is a 17-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. On the Sabbath, it was only lawful to travel 2,000 cubits, which is about 3,000 feet, which is just over a half a mile. That is all the lawful travel that's allowed on the Sabbath. So when we look at those pieces together and we say, okay, so moving with that, and again, I'm not making some doctrinal shift here. I'm not saying something dogmatic with this, but I do think that it's important, and perhaps you'll come to that same conclusion as we continue our study this morning. But where, does it, where do we come up with this idea that, it, that it's on Friday? Where did, where did church history come up with this where we look at it on Friday? Well, the answer comes from what is said about when Jesus is, is on the cross after he has died, they go to get his body and they, they, they said they have to take it off of the cross before sunset. Why? Because the next day is a Sabbath day. So people say, well, okay, so the Sabbath is Saturday, the next day, so we got to get the body off the cross, so that means it's
1: Friday. Well, hang on a second. Leviticus chapter 23 says this,
0: beginning in verse 4, These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. 14th day of the month. 14th day of Nisan. Regardless of what day that would fall on in the week, it is always the 14th day of Nisan. Back then, those dates were calculated based on the new moon cycles and that type of stuff, and I don't want to get too technical, but the 14th day, no matter what day of the week that would fall on, it goes on, then on the 15th day of the same month, the very next day, there is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious. Work. So as it is laid out, the day after Passover is always a Sabbath day, regardless of when it falls during the week. If it falls on Monday, it's a Sabbath day. If it falls on Wednesday, it's a Sabbath day. Initially, these two items, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, were separate, looked at separately. But by Jesus' time, they are considered one eight-day celebration, if you would, starting with Passover and concluding after the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In the midst of that is on the first day after the weekly sabbath on saturday the first day whatever that fell on in the in the cycle of the calendar was the feast of first fruits
1: which that's pretty beautiful because that's the day jesus rose from the dead the first fruits but i say all of that again
0: as the setting as to what we are going to look into and just as a just as a little aside Is there a day that we can point to on the calendar where Passover would have fallen on a Thursday in this general time frame? And there is. And if we work backwards from that, the day that we're looking at today, that this Palm Sunday day would have fallen on April 6th, 32 AD. So I just want to set that. Now, is the date important? I'll let you determine that as we continue. So let's, let's keep on looking back in our text. It tells us, again, as he approached Beth Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. I love this as we start to look at this, this little section here. This is really, really cool when, you try to, when we unpack this. We see this very unusual request. This unusual command that Jesus says, when we get there, you're going to go on a little bit further onto the next village, and when you get there, you're going to see a donkey tied up. Untie it and bring it to me. If anybody asks, tell them the Lord has need of it. And at first, I want to look at not only just the unusual command, but notice the unquestioned compliance. I I have this highlighted in, in my Bible, verse 32. Those who were sent went boom. Those who were sent went. It doesn't record for us any questions that they asked. They didn't say, Jesus, are you serious? You, you, you seriously, you want me to go into the next town, go walk up to some donkeys from some total strangers. I have no idea who they are. Untie it. Why in the world would we do that? No questions. Just obedience. Those who sent went, and they didn't complain either. There's no record of them complaining, walking along, mumbling and grumbling along the way. How come he sent us? Why didn't
1: he send those guys? We walked just as far as they did today. Blah 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 blah. No, those who sent went. Jesus does not give any further explanation. He just expects compliance, guys. <laughs> The Lord doesn't owe us any explanation either as to why he would
0: tell us to do things, why he would expect us to walk a certain path. We might look at the paths that are in front of us individually and say, why, Lord? Why, why is this in my life? Why am I having to deal with this? Why are you sending me down this road? But guys, he doesn't owe us an explanation.
1: He may give us one, but chances are he won't. But I have, I have a feeling that these two that
0: were sent, one of the reasons why they didn't ask a whole bunch of questions is because they said, you know what? Jesus never has us do anything that is meaningless. Jesus never sends us on fool's errands. Jesus never has us do anything that doesn't have something behind it. He is always faithful. And I'm challenged over and over again by one of, one of uh, 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 a statement that a good friend of mine made at one time as he was teaching a, a message. He said, God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. Regardless of what it is, he is always faithful. He has always proven himself faithful. So that demands my present trust in the current situation without questioning Regardless of how silly I might think the statement is, like, Lord, you gotta be crazy. This is not so, uh, you're God, I'm not.
1: I'll do what you said. And I'm not gonna complain along the way either. Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, do all
0: things without grumbling and complaining, disputing. I've mentioned this before. I, 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 sometimes I just wanna say, Paul, Dude, couldn't you just give us a little wiggle room? Couldn't you say do most things without grumbling and complaining? I mean, couldn't we get twice a week where we can complain about something? No, do all things without grumbling, complaining, disputing. Guys, bottom line, they need, we need to trust, as they did, trust in his reasoning. Even though he might not share it with us, but then also trust in his resources. I, I love this. He, not only does Jesus never do anything that is pointless, he also never says anything that is meaningless. He tells them, if somebody should ask you, what are you doing, you tell them the Lord has need of it. Let me just say, what do you, what do you think? What are the chances
1: somebody was going to ask? About 100%? <laughs> He knew they were going to ask. He knew they were going to
0: face this situation. So he gave them what they would need in order to deal with it when they got there. Nothing Jesus says is ever to hear himself speak. None of God's words are irrelevant, immaterial, unimportant. Everything that he has
1: told us and continues to reveal to us, guys, is important to us we hold in our hands the living word of God. And it is all important. Every word, nothing is insignificant.
0: Again, just like he knew that they were going to need that information, he gives it to them. Guys, he knows ahead of time what is for us. And he knows what we need. And he's given us what we need in his word. Paul writes, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Notice again, it doesn't say some scripture. All scripture literally is God-breathed and given to us to
1: equip us for everything that we're going to need he thinks of everything i i my my family can back this up my wife my kids
0: i quite possibly could be the most unhandy man in the on the planet I, I, I need help with everything when it comes to building, when it comes to doing, when it comes, I just, oh, I just, I so covet those gifts that others have, and then I repent. But I, <laughs> I, I, I really can't, and I remember when the kids were little, we got this, I ordered this, this um, playground set, you know, and when it got delivered, it was in these massive boxes, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'll, I could do this today, though. So we unpack all of this stuff. And I, I love this because I almost feel like this was the Lord to me, because on the top was the instructions and in big red letters, do not discard, you will need this. <laughs> because my tendency again is to think, oh, I, I got this. I mean, these are just big pieces. This piece has to go with this piece. Boom, find out later. No, they don't. So I got to take it all apart.
1: Guys, don't discard this. You need this.
0: Everything in here. That is why personal daily Bible study and devotion is so important. I can't tell you how many times I will be in the morning in a devotional time with the Lord, and all of a sudden something will jump off the page at me. So, oh my goodness, I've never seen that before. And as I study and I meditate on that, it speaks directly to the situation I'm going
1: through at the time. This is the living word of God. Jesus tells us in Matthew
0: chapter 7, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus is straight up, guys, storms are coming.
1: They're going to happen. It doesn't say if. When the storms come, when the winds happen, not only hearing, reading, meditating, but doing.
0: Guys, we we have what we need to withstand whatever comes. And we see this. These guys, the moment came when they were going to need what it was that Jesus prepared them for. Lo and behold, they walk in. There's the donkey. Just like Jesus said, they untie it. The owner said, what are you doing?
1: And the simple response, the Lord has need of it. Just like he said, Okay. They listened, they obeyed, so they were ready. Now, one last thing before we move on this,
0: this, this struck me too, as just meditating on this. Notice he says, tell them the
1: Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it? Here Jesus is saying, as the creator, the sovereign king,
0: he needs a donkey. In order for him to do what he desires to do next, he needs a donkey. He chose, guys, he chose to need a donkey because before, you know, reigning on high, the creator of the universe, Jesus needs nothing.
1: But he chose to need a donkey. I don't know about you, but that, that's like one of those wild things. Well, as we continue on we're going to see one of the reasons why he needed the donkey verse
0: 35 though says they brought it to jesus they brought the donkey to jesus they threw their coats on the colt and put jesus on it as he was going they were spreading their coats on the road as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the mount of olives the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples.
1: But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Well,
0: we, we see this, and this is actually what is taking place here, is a fulfillment of a prophecy made long before. In Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The prophecy was stated that the Messiah will be revealed, the one who brings salvation, the only one who can save, will come humbly on a donkey. So Jesus now mounted on a donkey and all the questions going around after all that they had seen after all that they had heard could this be the one could this really be the messiah is jesus the is that possibly true and again this isn't just a handful of people this is a a large multitude now that is following jesus and starting to worship him and up until this point Remember, as, you've, as we've studied through the gospel accounts, we know up until this point, Jesus had always stifled the praise. He had all, has always said, don't say anything. Don't tell them about me. Don't, trying to stifle the praise. Here, he is not only receiving it and accepting it, he is, in a sense, encouraging it. Why all of a sudden this? There's something special about this day. There's something special about this moment. The worship and the praise, understand as we see very clearly in our text, nobody misses what's happening. In Psalm 118, the the, the praise is quoting Psalm 118. It says, the stone which the builders has has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They are shouting out, praising, using Psalm 118 as their worship. And guys, Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. It is speaking of the coming Messiah. Everybody knew that. The Pharisees knew that. And that is why they, were, they said, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop this. This is, this is totally out of line. They are recalling you, the Messiah. Stop it right now. It tells us in Matthew's account of this, the crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed were again shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We sang that a moment ago.
1: Hosanna, it literally means save now. Come, salvation now. They are proclaiming him as the Messiah. They are worshiping him.
0: And I just want to take a moment here and just underscore the fact, do you
1: guys realize what a privilege it is that we get to worship the Lord. I think we take that for granted way too often. I know I do.
0: We, that is, this is a privilege, guys, that has been given to us exclusively in all of creation. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. God's creation cries out his, his praises. But they do that because they don't have any choice. They do that because that's what they were, they just they simply do that because that's what they are crea- how they are created. His beauty, his splendor, his majesty. The heavens declare it just because they're so awesome. They reflect how awesome he is. Guys, you and I have the unique privilege of choosing to worship him to respond to what it is that he's done in us and for us and through
1: us. Guys, worship is a response. Worship is, again, a privilege that
0: you and I have. And I don't know how you see this scene unfolding. I don't know what this looks like to you. But
1: how many of you think they're walking along going, Hosanna, Hosanna. It it tells us all the right. They're shouting, they're praising, they're worshiping.
0: Can that, that's such a privilege that we have? The rocks want
1: to. Jesus said they want to cry out, but they they can't. It is up to you. Guys, here's the people that we are blessed with. that that are up here, Pastor Brad and
0: the different teams that lead us in worship, let me just make a
1: clarification with you real quickly. They're not the worship team. You're the worship team. I'm part of the worship team. They simply lead us in that. They
0: simply give us a little direction to go in. But guys, we are the worship team. We have been given this incredible privilege to respond to God's goodness and his grace as we worship him. Now, I, this next part, this is not directed at any individuals. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna say it turned around, so nobody misunderstand me. <laughs> How many of you think that those that were a part of this thing, shouting Hosanna said it three or four times and said,
1: you know what, that's enough and left? Guys, when we if we leave early, hey, God, here sang a couple songs, got the message halfway through the second song. Okay, got enough. What are we saying? What are we saying? I've worshipped enough today. I I I was blessed many years ago. Now, friend of mine. He
0: couldn't use them, kind of the last-minute thing. Had a couple of tickets to a Broncos playoff game, AFC championship game, right off the
1: 40-yard line, like 25 rows off the field. That game was sold out. You couldn't get tickets to that game
0: and I, I was given those tickets i had the privilege to go and be a part of that game and you want guys? We, i talked of this last week it's crazy how sports fans worship their sports teams over some silly game how silly would it have been for me to say halfway through the third quarter okay well i've enjoyed this enough and when I had the privilege of being at a game that, oh man, I know I could, people would have spent thousands of dollars to have the seats I had for free. I don't know if you know where, if you could sense where I'm going with this, guys, but bottom line,
1: how do we ever say I've had enough of worship? And one, one other thing we see, I, again,
0: I, I don't know where you're picturing this in your mind, but I see fervent, passionate worship and guys that's from people who are still wondering if this guy's the messiah they're still questioning is jesus really the one because a large number of them in a few days are going to be
1: screaming crucify him guys we know for sure god's revealed it in our hearts we know he's the risen king we have the assurance how much more passionate and fervent should our worship be Now, again, I get the question every once in a while. People miss the service
0: or whatever. might come up. And maybe somebody's ever asked you, so how was worship today?
1: <laughs> what are you asking me for? It wasn't about me. There's only one person you should ask, how was worship today? And that's the Lord Jesus.
0: And let me ask you, if you, if you walk out of here and you say, uh, I didn't like worship today. Bottom line, so what? <laughs> It's not about you, but hang on, hang on, hang on. If you
1: didn't enjoy worship, because it's not, about the, it's not about the music style. It's not about the volume. It's not about our own personal preference that I like this style or I like that style. It's all about our hearts before God. I, again, I can't imagine that there were some that day that were like going, "Can't we, can't we do
0: this a different tempo?" <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, I like this, but ca- you know, can't we, can't we sing a hymn, or can't we, can't we bring out an electric guitar, or can't we? No, it was just all about because it's all about Him. It's all about worshiping Him. As a matter
1: of fact. In our text, the only people complaining about the worship were the Pharisees. Guys, what a privilege we have. And the fact, again, not only that we have the
0: privilege to to worship him and adore him and to cry out with our hearts. But also, with part of our worship, Hosanna, save now. We acknowledge, God, only you can fix this. Only you can fix my situation. Only you can step into this, this and do this. Save now. Guys, that part of our worship that we can go there and acknowledge that he is the one. That's why t- nights like tonight are so important when we have our encounter service. I want to invite you again. Pastor Brad did earlier. I want to invite you. Six o'clock tonight. That's what we do. We worship. We pray, which is worship. And we acknowledge, God, you're the only one who can fix this city, this country, this world. You're the only one. And we step in and we intercede for, for one another. We intercede for our brothers and sisters
1: around the world. Again, we have that privilege. Well, let's continue. Verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept
0: over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, and if you have a New King James Version, it says, especially in this your day, The things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Note, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus here prophesies. He says that there's a day coming. Note: because you didn't recognize this day, there's a day that is coming in which this city will be totally destroyed. And at the time, people would have thought, that's crazy. And especially the way Jesus says it, not one stone left upon another, but in 70 AD, that is exactly what happened.
1: Guys, two things that we need to understand that separate our
0: faith, what we believe as born-again Christians, from all other beliefs and all other faiths, first and foremost, we serve a risen King. Jesus is alive. Our, our Lord and Savior, who gave his very life for us, rose again three days later. We serve a risen king. That's what we celebrate next week. That's what we celebrate every day of our lives. That separates us but also one other thing this word that we've been talking about this Bible that we hold is one-third prophecy speaking of things that when it was written had not yet happened no other religion no other book dares to to try to do that in such a way as the Bible does because it would if proven wrong you're totally discredited And that's what happens over and over and over again everywhere else. But every time the Bible, 100% accurate, has never prophesied something to come that didn't come to pass. 100%. Every time. Now, I want to look at just one of those with you now. It's recorded for us in Daniel chapter 9. And I'm going to read the portion of three verses. If you're taking notes, it's Daniel 9, 24 through 26. Beginning in verse 24, the first part of that verse says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Speaking of the Jews and Jerusalem. Verse 25 says, So you are to know and discern. You are to understand this. This is not to be... Foreign to you. You are to know and to discern that from the issuing of a decree, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks." Verse 26 says, "Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off." Now, sounds a little perhaps cryptic, so let me help you just nail down a couple of things, and then it will real quickly go through this. But when it's speaking of weeks here, that is commonly known as a period of seven. A week, you know, seven days in a week. So when it's speaking of a week, it's not necessarily referring to seven days. It's speaking of a period of seven somethings. So when we look at that as a period of seven years and we extrapolate that out, we see that seven weeks would be seven times seven or 49 years. The 62 weeks, again, 7 times 62 is 434 years. Follow me. I, I figured this all out yesterday. <laughs> okay, that's, that's not true. Um, a really, really, really smart guy back in the late 1800s devoted a large part of his life studying through this, and he wrote a book. His name is Sir Robert Anderson. But, so this is where th- this information comes from. So we total that up and there's 483 years. Back then, they used the Babylonian or lunar calendar that had 360 days in it, not the Roman calendar that we use today, 360 days. So you multiply that out in days, it's 173,880 days. Nehemiah gives us the day that it says from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So we know that day. And if we add from that day, 173,880 days,
1: guess what day we come to? April 6th, 32 AD. Is the date important? I'll let you decide. But here we see that prophecy again fulfilled completely. And you can, you can
0: dispute that. You can discard it however you want. You can take that information and, and set that aside to chew on later. That's okay. That doesn't change anything about what we've been talking about or where we go from it.
1: Jesus said you needed to know this day. He said this is your day. And you didn't recognize it. You did not recognize the day of your visitation.
0: And we know that as we look at this, the vast majority of the people, totally oblivious to what's going on. Those even that were surrounding Jesus and, and following after him and, and shouting this out, as I mentioned, they're still questioning, they're still processing, they're still not completely sure what's going on. Even the disciples aren't fully convinced yet, or they're still trying to figure this all out. When we look at this whole story, there's only two characters in our story that really get everything that's happening right at this moment, and that's Jesus
1: and the donkey. (laughs) And there's some interesting things about the donkey that I think are worth noting. First of all, we know first
0: that that donkey had to be redeemed. We know that because in Exodus 13, 13, it says that every first offspring of a donkey, and we know through the description in, in uh, Zechariah that it's the firstborn donkey, every first offspring of a donkey, you must redeem with a lamb. If you do not, you must break that donkey's neck. what it says, Exodus 13, 13. So how do we know the donkey was redeemed? Its neck's not broken, okay? So we know
1: <laughs> it's been redeemed. Secondly, we know that it's been released. Look at verse 30. He says, go and untie it. It had to be released. It was also requisitioned. Jesus said, go and bring it to me. We also see that it needed to be ruled. Notice this, and this is important.
0: He says, Go get that colt on which no one yet has ever sat.
1: This is an unbroken animal. It's never been sat on. It's never been ridden. It needed to be broken. And we see in verse 35, they brought it to
0: Jesus. They threw their coats on the colt and and put Jesus on it. And
1: then Jesus rode that donkey was ready. (laughs) Ready? how was that donkey ready? It's a a young donkey. It's never
0: been ridden before. It's never been used for this purpose before. How could it possibly be ready?
1: Well, I think the key, the answer, is that Jesus said, go get it, and then Jesus sat on it. Because when Jesus says, you're ready, you're ready. We see all of these things about this donkey. You know what, guys? The same is true for this donkey. Same is true for all y'all donkeys. <laughs> guys, first of all, we need to be redeemed. The Bible tells us that we aren't redeemed with the blood of, of bulls and goats or even lambs, but the Lamb.
0: The Lamb of God. Who Here we see riding in and receiving this praise, but just days later we'll be crucified, shedding his perfect blood for the forgiveness of our sin. As Peter writes, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of the lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed. Guys, we've been released. Through that process, Hebrews tells us that because he became one of us, because he shed his blood for us, it was done to free those who through fear of death, all their lives were slaves as we've been freed. And we looked at this last week in John fifteen sixteen. We have not only been freed, but we've been requisitioned and ruled.
1: Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and equipped you to go and bear fruit. Guys, we need to be broken. We need to be submitted. And and I love this too. Again, we need to be ready. And what makes us ready? All of our preparation,
0: all of our classwork, all of the blah, 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 blah. No, what makes us ready is God calling us and God saying go. And we need to step out in faith. We need, to, we, need to, we need to trust the fact that he's not going to send us on a fool's errand. We need to trust the fact that where he sends us, if we will go, he will provide everything we need for, to accomplish what it is that he's called us to do.
1: We just need to simply be like this donkey and say, anytime you want to get on, anytime that you want to use me, And again, I want to go back to what it says in verse 31. Tell
0: them the Lord has need of it. Guys, this, again, this blows me away.
1: But the creator, our creator, our sovereign king has chosen to need me and to need you. you we can argue the wisdom of that all we want. But it's the truth. St. Augustine Said, without him, I can't, but without me, he won't. Guys, do you realize the privilege of that? That God,
0: again, has chosen us to be a part of his eternal plan of redemption for the world, to bring the ministry of reconciliation. He did it.
1: We simply share it. I mentioned. That one third of the word that we study, that we look at is prophecy.
0: Guys, there's more prophecy about his second coming than about his first. And I mentioned everything about the first coming, 100% accurate. I'd have you turn there real quickly, but for the sake of time, you can jot it down. Afterwards, it's real easy to find. It's the second to the last verse in your Bible. Jesus said, yes,
1: I am coming quickly. He's coming, guys. He's coming quickly. He's coming soon. Are we ready? Amen. (laughs) Guys, again, we have this enormous privilege to worship him.
0: And worship is more than just our singing and our praise. It's our life lived out. It's our
1: reasonable service of worship, a life that is laid out for him, lived out for him. Let's stand. Let's pray and worship our risen King. Lord Jesus, again, we, we are here before you in absolute awe and wonder. Lord, that you would take donkeys like us and choose, choose to redeem us, to rescue us, to release us. Lord, then to use us. Lord, how can we ever stop singing your praise? Lord, I pray now as we, as we prepare to, to worship you in song,
0: that you would prepare our hearts so that our worship would be pleasing to you. Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that needs to be dealt with, any any area of sin, any area of pride, Lord, that we would put that down at the foot of the cross right now, that we would repent. Your word is clear. When we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, we come to the cross right now. We put all of that down and we, we worship you together. And if you're here today and you've never... If you've never taken a step to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never invited him into your life as Lord of your life, I'd ask you to just simply respond to the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now. And you pray along these lines. You say, God, I am a sinner. But Jesus, I believe you died to redeem me, to save me. So I invite you to come into my life right now. Forgive me of all of my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life. I want to worship you now for the first time with a heart that is clean, with hands that are clean. Lord Jesus, we lift our praise to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.